Today is Sunday, January 8th, 2017, and this is episode 181 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Kellett. Hello, Jerry, and Happy New Year, and it's been a while since we've been together, so I hope you New- had a good holiday. I did, I did, hope you did too. Happy New Year to you and everyone listening. Indeed, sorry we took a little bit of time off, but... Just the way things fell with our normal recording day and holidays and everything else, it uh, it was a little tough. But yep. we're back. Hey, we're back. Here we are. Indeed. So, Glad to be back. So uh, just a reminder that before before we get into the stories, a, a reminder that our, our opinions are ours and do not represent those of our employer. Because but for seven figures, they could. That's That's true. All right, so uh, getting into our stories tonight. Our first one comes from businessinsider.com. And if you've been paying attention, this this is uh, actually uh, a, a part of a much bigger story related to the, you know, to the election hacking, the alleged election hacking deal. So so the the backstory here, and I just want to paint the picture for a second. The backstory here was, you know, in the US there was some contentious allegations that Russia had uh, somehow hacked the election. Really, would not exactly sure what that means. Uh, we do know that, for instance, they that the Democratic National Committee was hacked, and there was emails leaked from John Podesta and whatnot. And uh, anyway, there there there's been a lot of back and forth, and you know, the government on one hand saying, "Well, it was Russia," and some people on the other hand saying, no, it wasn't Russia. Well, the, the U.S. government released a report they called the Grizzly Steppe uh, Investigation Report. And um, it, it was, I'll say, not very well received in the information security community. And for a couple of reasons, you know, the, the, the report was very conceptual. You know, it, it kind of, uh, it, it kind of talked about uh, some things at a very high level. It made a, a kind of a veiled reference to John Podesta himself as having fallen victim of a uh, of a phishing attack, and uh, you know a reference to a uh, you know a political party being hacked, and and then there was a bunch of of inter- indicators of compromise, and there were I think somewhere in the neighborhood of eight hundred IP addresses, and then some file hashes and some domain names. And, uh, you know, the, the implication being that, hey, you ought to be looking out for these these indicators, right, in your network because this is, you know, the APT, the Russian APT, grizzly steppy bear is coming to get you. So, you know, you should probably go look for that stuff. Well, uh, as it turns out, a, a, a utility company in Vermont, you took that to heart and... And I'm sure they're not the only ones, by the way. Probably not. Mm-hmm. But so, so let's let's be clear. At this point, now we have the government issuing out IOCs as threat intelligence for, in theory, Russian government attackers. Yes, that's where we're at. Yep. Correct. I, okay. Domain names, IP addresses, and some file hashes. 
right. which a lot of folks then pump into their various yep. monitoring tools. Yep. So they put that into their sim and see what comes uh-huh. out. And uh, well, well, this Vermont utility did apparently just that, and um, they f- they found a hit. They they reported it to, uh, I think it was to the Department of Energy, I believe. Wait, so so they got a hit. They got a hit. And then the next thing they did was. Uh, they reported it. Oh, okay, okay, and uh, all right, that. Hmm. Well, wow. so 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 clearly then, the Russians were were attacking this this Vermont power company. Yeah, the the uh, Burlington Electric Department, right? Yes. Which is not to be confused with a space of monopoly. So, <laughs> yes. so then of course, uh, you know the, the the cyber SWAT team from the DOE must have must have shown up. They they flew in, and I'm not sure if it was the DOE or the DHS. Anyway, some government entity they reported it to, kind of. Flew in and I, I guess started doing some investigations. However, at some point, uh, the, someone associated with this investigation um, leaked to the media that the uh, that that this Russian group was found uh, hacking into the U.S. power grid. Right, that that a. Uh, a system connected to the power grid had been hacked by the same group that had hacked the the DNC. Well, of course, right? They've got the IOCs and they got a hit. Sure. Wait. Well, wait. Did, well, wait. Did, yeah. did anybody actually check on anything first? Well, so according to the according to a a post from the Burling, Burlington Electric Department, they actually said that. This hit was triggered by an employee's laptop when he checked his Yahoo account. And that, that, that laptop was in no way connected to the power grid, and they're not entirely sure why someone from the government actually uh, you know, reported that in the first place. Wow. So yeah. let's, 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 let's get this straight. The IP address in the IOC that they searched for was actually an email server for Yahoo. Uh, well, we're not entirely sure if it was, uh, you know, a web bug or or something along right, those lines. Right, but something in, involved with the Yahoo infrastructure. Uh, well, that's that part's not clear to me. Okay. That's but but what is clear is when they investigated this laptop, they actually found that it had been infected with neutrino. You know, the 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 exploit kit, mm-hmm. right? Or I should say, infected by neutrino because neutrino doesn't actually install on your. Computer. However, that appears to have been coincidental. Yes, um, correct. But so so there's been a lot of there's been a lot of stuff written about the IOCs that were provided by the government, and I believe it was approximately a third of the IOC or the, the IP addresses are actually Tor exit nodes. Nice. And and then there's a whole bunch of other you know odds and ends. You know, possibly shared, um, you know, sh- shared compromised systems and and whatnot. So, a really low quality indicators, and I think that the challenge here, and the reason I really wanted to bring this up, is is that you know we in the industry are really wrapped up in the concept of threat intelligence right now. Sure, it's it's the buzzword. 
It is automated threat intelligence. How else can you possibly stay out of the bad guys? Right. But mm-hmm. but there's some peril in there, right? You know, you you have to you have to impart some you know, some oversight and intelligence into you know, in, into looking at that. It, you know, if if you just looked at it was really simple just to do a reverse IP or re- reverse DNS lookup on the IP addresses. And they actually have Tor in the name. Like they're, you know, they're very clearly Toric. Now, cl- certainly people could, you know, fake that. That wouldn't be hard to do. But, you know, my, my, my suspicion is that, yes, there may have been some traffic emanating from these IP addresses that the government had seen at some point, right? But I'm going to guess you, know, you see lots of crap coming out of Tor exit nodes. Well, but but let's back up just a moment too and, and look at the fundamental aspect here. So somebody downloaded this IOC list, threw it into their SIM, and then without even doing any any sanity check at all, reported a hit directly to a federal agency. Correct. And this turned out to be a complete false positive of somebody just checking Yahoo. Yeah. So, and then somebody in the feds leaked this to the press again without doing any actual verification or sanity checking. Yeah. And by the way, I think this is what one of the reasons a company, private companies, are very hesitant to go to the government with stuff, right. you know, with, with, yeah, they all look stupid like right now. But I think in a bigger, you know, in a bigger picture view, this is why threat intelligence needs to be vetted, and it needs, you know, it's it's an it's an indicator. It's not an absolute. Correct. And it's something. It's a piece of data that may lead to something to go take a look at, but it doesn't automatically mean that something bad is going on. Correct. So, and I think this is a fundamental fundamental thing to really focus on because we are going to get more and more of these automated feeds coming from all sorts of threat intelligence. TM uh, from all sorts of people, including you know the the Office of Threat Intelligence from the government. That's gonna you know be the official sanction thing that everybody pumps into their sims, and we're gonna be chasing our tails if we act like this. Yeah, and then having the Washington Post writing a, a story about you. So, so I mean. I get that 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 it's entirely possible to have IOCs that are that are bouncing off completely legitimate servers, and they could very well have been used in the past for something discreet. But if you don't classify these IP addresses in some way, like multi-use, massive service provider, you know, there's got to be context around these IP addresses. If it's a single server sitting in a in a data center in Eastern Europe. That's one thing, but if it's you know something that's a Tor exit node or or an, uh, a well-known open proxy or a Google server or an Amazon Web Services you know box or that that's widely known or what I mean, you have to know if these are multi-use systems or multi-use IPs. Exactly. I and think without that, yes. it's not that helpful. Sorry, go ahead. No, you're you're right on on the point that we we've got to. We've got to have some context, right? Is is it malicious emails emanating from that server that we should be looking for? Is it, right. you know, is it um, is it inbound or is it outbound? What what is the thing that you should be concerned with coming from that server? That's that's the the context yeah. that's missing here, um, you know. And so IPs, yeah, IPs in and of themselves are nearly worthless, right? 
you know, if you tell me it's port TCP 4343 traffic coming from this server, maybe I can do something with that. If you tell me it's, you know, targeted spear phishing coming in from that server, I can do something with that. Yeah. You know? If it's, you, you know, you tell me that it's a beacon command and control server that people are talking to on port 8018, I could do something with that. But if you give me just a random IP of a well-known server that tons of people use, I'm just chasing my tail. And potentially having lots of hits. I mean, I, I have told the story in the past of an organization that, uh, you know, that, that found dozens or maybe hundreds of, of workstations they suspected of being breached because, you know, they, they had identified an IP address as an indicator of compromise. And, and they literally rebuilt all of these workstations, put them back online, and they were immediately, from, for, all in, from all appearances, reinfected. Well, you know, after a lot of hoopla, it was discovered that, no, it, the, the, the quote malicious IP address was actually an ad server. Right. And, and <laughs> the, these employees had been visiting the same, they just happened to be visiting a web page that was serving this particular ad and you know there was no there was no actual infection they were they were chasing their tail so and here's here's the tough part for me is how do i how do we articulate this level of nuance to executives who are like what are you talking about the government said this is bad do we have it or yes or no and that's i think the frustration and the challenge and the trouble yeah there isn't a good way i mean this is this is the same oh well not the same it's a similar similar challenge to you know the named vulnerabilities how do you explain to an executive that you know the named vulnerability is not necessarily as severe as the you know the microsoft Correct. the microsoft vulnerability that came out last week but but it has a logo and a theme song and a, and a mascot <laughs> right and they talked about it on cnn Right. Uh, it's got to be far more severe so no no, no. You, you mean cnbc come on these are executives so come on okay fine <laughs> <laughs> anyway, touche. So, um, but I, I will say, in the Grizzly Steppy report, the one thing that they actually did a nice job of was all the recommendations. You know, I thought the I, I thought they spent some some good you know some good uh, use of of time putting together some re uh, recommendations. So that that part's worth reading, I think. But you know, the rest is is not terribly actionable. So yeah, I'm. I got to tell you, I'm sort of gun shy. I mean, I've glanced through it and I need to sit down and really read it, but I feel it's gotten so politicized. I don't know what to believe in it. I, I wouldn't, to be, to be blunt, there's two or three paragraphs that, that talk about the, you know, the quote attack. And then the rest, the, like over a page is recommendations. Yeah. Which, which are, is uh, good stuff. Use two factor yeah. authentication, you know, that, that sort of stuff. So anyway, uh, moving on to our next story, which comes from CIO.com. The title is Four Information Security Threats That Will Dominate 2017. Dominate. We, we need like bumper music there. Dun, dun, dun. I know. So, uh, so this was uh, from a report by the Information Security Forum. Number one threat that is going to dominate in 2017 is supercharged connectivity and the IOT will bring unmanaged risks. And and basically this is because IOT is going to, going to be plugged into gigabit home networks. 
Oh, of course. And they're not going to be patched. No. (laughs) Never. What are you talking about? No. And they'll be wide open to the internet with no sort of router or NAT device in the way whatsoever. Nope. Because we have bazillions of IPv4 addresses just waiting to be used. Totally. Uh, yep. Maybe once IPv7 gets rolled out, we'll fix this problem. I, that could be. That could be. Although, you know, IPv, I, I will say IPv6 is going to create some problems. Right? Well, that's why I'm waiting for IPv7. Yeah. Or 8. I mean, I, I like things to get, you know, really well, This is going to have to be, you know, power 2, right? Actually, IPv6 wasn't a power 2, so I, I don't even know where that came from. Wow. What man, were they thinking? Awesome. What were they thinking? Anyway, so uh, so number two, crime syndicates will take quantum leap with crime as a service. <sighs> Actually, we've been talking about this for quite some time. Basically, they're they're talking about the industrialization of of attacks. Well, this one's pretty safe because it's already happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's yeah. that's a pretty safe prediction. Yeah. Speaking of things that have already happened. Number three, new regulations will bring compliance risks. Well, this is an interesting challenge there because there's a lot of – I work at, I work for a financial institution, and, and so we have a tremendous amount of regulatory load on us from, from an information security standpoint. And I definitely see this as a real challenge because one thing that I see in general is that the, the regulatory bodies that are pushing various compliance are often fighting the previous set of threats. So we'll talk about this actually in a story coming up, but this I think is actually fairly real. I think that there is going to be more just do something coming from no, you know, certain organizations. No, I, 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 but I think it's is it's I think it's a safe prediction though because it's already oh, sure. yeah, you know, and the the GDPR, the global, uh, sorry, the General Data Protection Regulation in the Europe, European Union, it's already been it's already been passed. You know, we we already know that the fine structure is going to be four percent of your annual revenue worldwide, right? Which you know, is, is wow. Yeah, yeah. So, so the the I think that the net point there is that you know right now you you have to worry about being breached, and you can you can get fined if, if you have a breach, and you can uh, you you can count on brand damage and lawsuits and 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 those sorts of things, but. In the as time goes on and these regulations are maturing, it's it's not only the threat of those breach related costs. Now you also have the threat of significant financial harm or f- financial costs incurred just from not being compliant. Mm-hmm. And, and that's I think their point. So uh, and then and then number four, brand reputation and trust will be a target. And by the way, this is not an obvious one. What they're what they're trying to say here is that. Uh, you know, they're they're the bad guys and bad girls are are going to take hey, hey. bad women. You're making a lot of assumptions on gender there, buddy. There are more than just male and female hackers in the world. Oh boy, let's not go here. I you're the one who's going to get the hate mail. Let's let's move on. Bad right. people. How about bad, his people? Okay. Maybe. Okay, so the bad people are 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 going to rely on the the relationships. That companies have with other companies like business partners, suppliers, and whatnot to infiltrate. You know, so uh, again, I think this this feels like a safe bet because how long have we been getting, uh, you know, FedEx 
uh, you know, shipping notices for, for, for quite some time. Right. I personally, I always struggle with these sort of prediction stories because I think predictions are inherently hard and it's really, really, really difficult to have, but, but we have this demand. We have this absolute love of these prediction stories, but I kind of, I'll take them with a massive grain of salt because it's really hard to know what's really going to happen. Well, I, you know, as, as you see here, there's, there's nothing in here that's really going out on a limb, right? Because they're, no, they're, yeah, it's pretty safe. They were, they were all present in 2016. Yeah. So. It's true. And, and by the way, we're not necessarily picking on the author. It's this is the kind of stuff that executives and and folks who run IT security groups and IT groups are trying to figure out what's coming next. How do I get ahead of it? Yeah. So you know, it's it's a valid approach and valid attempt. I guess what I'm really trying to say is that things can sometimes be foreseen, but often they can't. You know, I mean, not not in a way that typically helps us. And and also at the same point. Often, if you're looking at your spending and, and your tactics, you almost have to wait for the trend to develop before you respond to it because you've got a finite amount of resources and time and energy to spend on things. Yeah. That Which is, true. You know, kind of sucks. <laughs> you're kind of behind the eight ball all the time. That's true. Well, the, the one thing that I really wanted to talk about was the the regulations becoming, yeah. becoming significant risks. So anyway... Moving on to our next story, which comes from DataBreachToday.com, and the title is Major Breach, Insurer Blames System Integrator. Oh, boy. So uh, Community Health Plan of Washington, it's a nonprofit uh, health insurer, outsourced a server to a company named Transaction Applications Group, which is a subsidiary of NTT. Uh, to to um, process claims for the the, the insurer, and um, apparently, sometime on January sixteenth of two thousand sixteen, that server was uh, what I don't know if it was breached or if if uh, just inappropriately accessed somehow. That the, there's really no details yet. Uh, anyhow, some some attacker had obtained access to. 30, uh, sorry, 381,534 uh, records, uh, individual records, which included things like name, address, social security number, and some, uh, some e, you know, uh, e, uh, electronic transaction, or di I guess, I guess diagnostic code information, I should say. Uh, anyway, the, the attacker allegedly contacted uh, the, the health insurer on November 30th, so like 11 months later. That seems perfectly reasonable. Saying that, that by the way, um, I have all these records, which which then uh, prompted the insurer to go and do a, uh, you know, spin up some investigation. But, you know, they took it very seriously. They immediately disconnected the server from the network. Right. right. And, and, and so... So anyway, in in the ensuing investigation, they found that apparently that yes, these records had been accessed, and uh, you know they they were going to have to provide uh, credit monitoring to to all these people. So, so yeah, Cre credit monitoring. Sure, why not? It seems the appropriate 
Right. But but anyway, the the the, yeah. the the point of the story here is that um you know, both both the the health insurer and the you know the the provider kind of look bad here. <laughs> you know, that the health insurer outsourced this system to um you know, to NTT. We don't know any details, right? But in the in the HIPAA world, that's called a business associate relationship. Right. And you know the the, the insurer doesn't actually have uh, they they can't delegate or abdicate their their responsibility for protecting the data, right? Just because they've outsourced that function to a third party, so they're actually still responsible for making sure that data is secure. So you know, ultimately, they're going to get slammed, but. Also, with the with the recent change in the HIPAA rule, you know that the the business associate now NTT NTT data uh, is is probably also going to get hit. Uh, I don't think there hasn't actually been any, you know, adjudication of this, uh, so we don't know if what the fines will be yet or anything like that. But uh, you know, point is, I, the, the reason I wanted to bring it up, you know, as as time goes on i see a lot of organizations starting to outsource big parts of its it infrastructure and the one thing i wanted to to really hammer on is that you know just because you've outsourced the function you have not abdicated your responsibility you are still responsible for the security of that thing you as the you know as, as the insurer or the the company are responsible for making sure that provider is operating in a secure way and that can be a tough thing yeah i was just gonna say how do you make sure of that uh, you know the typical answer is well show me your reports and show me your you know third party doing this and, and fill out this audit report but we all know that those audits are gamed so it's it's scary i think it's tough to to really trust a third party it it, it really can be you know i i i i don't know that there's a really great a uh, third party type audit function like a you know an SSA 16 or a SOC 2 or, or you know I think all of those can to some extent be gamed uh, and and so maybe that's you know you have to you have to find a provider that you're comfortable with the, the their the rep, the their work you know but the right. I think the problem is that in in many of these relationships those kinds of of third party attestation reports actually are are uh, paid for and and launched by the provider, not by the right. customer. And so the, it's a it's a really tough conflict of interest, in my view. Yeah, it really is. And uh, it's I don't I don't think this trend is going to reverse. I think it's just going to continue that we're going to continue to to commoditize and, and outsource and. Uh, I don't have a good answer. I think it's I think it's an underappreciated area of risk, though. So so let's let's play a uh, let, let's play a little mental game here for a second. So so let's just let's just say that that you know I'm an insurer and you're my you're my IT outsource provider and you get a SOC two or an SSA sixteen, which you're going to use to demonstrate your security, mm-hmm. you know your, your adherence to security controls, and you get breached, right? Right. With my data, my data on your systems gets breached, uh-huh. right? And in the you know in the ensuing investigation, we find out that okay, you weren't doing something that you had said you were. 
I, I, I wonder if at some point we're going to see, you know, the, the, the audit company that came in and did your assessment being pulled in. That is an interesting question. Which then in turn may drive more rigor in the audit companies. Yes. Hmm. Right, because if I'm making a, a, a risk decision based on that third-party audit. Now, the other challenge is the audit company can say, hey, the day after we're done with our audit, anything could happen that we're not in charge of. Well, that that's that's certainly true. You know, they could have been completely within compliance at the moment we did our our testing, and we attested that. But 24 hours later, I turned all that crap off and changed all the passwords back to default and, you know, flung open the firewalls. and. Right. Yeah, but, you know, the, that's the I, – I think that's one of the um... – like with the SOC two, and and I think to some extent the SSA sixteen, they're they're not they're not only looking to see you know do you have good passwords. Or I'm make, I'm just making a simple example, right? But they're mm-hmm. they're looking to see do you have a do you have a de, a, a, a demonstrably followed methodology, you know, and, rigorous yeah. process that you can right. you can demonstrate. Sure, for you know the ten days they're here. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But then you, but then you have to ask. Well, okay, if if you're if you're gonna, I'm, I'm just I'm playing the other side, right? So mm-hmm. if uh, you know, how did you get comfortable? If 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 it's just that easy for them to turn off to turn that stuff off, how did you get comfortable that you know you're gonna give them that you're gonna sign off on it? Well, like you said earlier, there could potentially be you know a conflict of interest or. Uh, Man, I've been involved in so many audits where executives are very clear on putting our best foot forward. Well, I think everybody everybody wants to do that, right? So, I, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's tough. To me, it seems like the, the, the magic here has to be – now, I don't, I don't know exactly how to do this, but figuring out how to put a thermometer at certain points in your – in your vendor so that you can kind of monitor the, their health. I don't know if that's, you know, running pen now, tests. Is is a vendor going to let, you know, let you do that for some relatively small business transaction? Maybe not. I don't know. I mean, I, I think it depends, right? I, yeah. sus- I suspect it depends. It's complicated. At some point you've got to, you know, trust, but of course verify, but how do you verify yeah, that's... when you, when you're struggling to keep your own ship afloat, right? Oh. Man, I don't I don't have a good answer on this one. Well, next next week we'll have the answer. We'll come back and tell everybody. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So moving on, since since that was a complete letdown, moving on to our next story, <laughs> which comes from uh, ZDNet dot com, and the title is "The Ransomware Targets" or "This Ransomware Targets HR Departments with Fake Job Applications." And uh, so what do we always tell people in our security awareness training? Don't click on links. Yeah. Think before you open an attachment. Right. You know, I'm I, I, still not sure what you have to think about, right? But you should think. <laughs> think something. I often think about my last vacation. <laughs> Good point. Good and point. then where I want to go next. Yeah. I think about being back in the recliner. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And. 
And then inevitably, just before I click, I'm thinking about your mom. And I'm oh, hoping. Oh, jeez. But then I'm certainly not thinking about ransomware. You know, right. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, the, the, the deal here is that uh, there's a new version of Petya called GoldenEye, which um, I think that the magic here is in the delivery, right? It's not in the actual ransomware. The innovation, if you want to call it that, is in is in the delivery, and they're they're very clearly in this campaign focusing on HR departments. And apparently, it's thus far been limited to Germany. But it basically, the 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 malware is delivered uh, in a series of attachments. So, in an email that's sent to a recruiter or to an HR department. Uh, purporting to be an, a job application, and there's one attachment. So basically, the uh, the the email says, you know, please see the attach the, the attachments. I'm oversimplifying here, right? Please see the attachments. Uh, w- one of them is a PDF, which is a cover letter, and apparently the cover letter is just a legitimate cover letter. It's you know, it, it's not malicious. It's benign. It actually looks like a cover letter, reads like a cover letter. Somebody applying for a job. And then, and then there's an Excel file, and I still am having trouble with an Excel file being part of a job application. But anyway, apparently the Excel file is alleged to be uh, to contain the, the actual job application, right? So uh, maybe they do things differently in Germany. I'm not entirely sure. But anyway, of course, when the when the recruiter opens up. The, the Excel file, you know, you have to enable macros to be able to see the content. And once, you know, that after you enable the macros, it says, you know, hang on, we're, we're processing. And while well, it's actually, it's, it's encrypting your files. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, and then you get the, um, you get the very helpful ransomware uh, banner that tells you that you have to pay 1.3 Bitcoins to get your files back, which is, uh, right around a thousand bucks. Well, actually, I think it's more than a thousand bucks now. I think it's uh, Bitcoin's been all over the place lately. It's been up and down. It just crashed the last couple of days. So who oh, knows? did it? Okay. So, uh, so anyway, yeah. But um, I guess the big difference between this one and the, and the normal Petya is that uh, that the screen that asks you to uh, uh, to pay the ransom is in in yellow instead of. Ooh, uh, I yeah. know, I know. Innovation. Yeah. This is, is branding. <laughs> This it's like is, that scene in Fight Club. Can I get that in cornflower blue? This is this is this is ransomware differentiation right here. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I once again, we're the bad guys are looking at normal business function that people are expected to do and subverting that to deliver malware. And I'll keep coming back to that's not something you're going to train away with awareness training. You're just not right. I, I don't think so. So, you know, if I were looking to defend against this, I'd probably be looking at my email servers to detect, uh, you know, uh, basic office uh, attachments that have macros enabled and block them or strip them or turn off the ability to even enable macros. How often do companies really use macros? And maybe a lot, but yeah, I don't know. I, I suspect HR departments probably don't. And in fact, in Office 2016 and Office 2013, I, I'm not an expert on this, but there is functionality you can turn on that says, if this is not a file created internally, disable macros. Yep, that's right. 
So, yeah. but this this is exactly how things are going to keep happening. It makes perfect sense to attack this way because HR folks need to look at attachments. Right. You know, unless they have an incredibly difficult to use job application system that makes you retype everything six ways anyway. <laughs> that that never happens, does it? Mm. <laughs> and then attach. I love the job applications that make you retype everything in a resume and through all their own fields, and then attach the resume at the end as well. Yes, that's right. That's I, I don't really understand helpful. that either, but really, really helpful. But uh, I digress. Anyhow, I I I do think that the the attackers are are really starting to align their their attacks to just normal business process, like you said. And this is just a, a very simple, I would say low hanging fruit kind of example, but you know, we've been seeing, we've been seeing stuff. I mean, just think about the Aurora attack, right? It, that was a, mm -hmm. that was kind of the same thing, right? It was, it was an attack against HR, right. You know, with, with a spreadsheet, in fact. So, you know, it's not, not necessarily new and novel. I think this is, what might be new and novel is that this is not a, a targeted attack, right? This is like a commodity, uh, large-scale commodity attack that's that's focusing on a particular business function. So right. uh, it's, I suspect that we will be seeing more of this. Indeed. So I agree. Put your helmet on. <laughs> as long as you don't enable macros in your helmet. <laughs> True. True. Um, and the the next two stories we have that are actually blog posts from Securosis, and I I thought they were this so a little, little bit of context right. This is um apparently the start the first two in a series of I don't know how many blog posts they're going to write about the future of IT, and and how security needs to morph uh, to to support the future of IT. But I thought these these were really good because I know I know with a lot, especially when I, you know, we have this really awesome Slack community now, and there's like 500 people in it, and we 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 talk a lot about jobs and you know what should we be learning and 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 things like that, and I, so I thought this was really really very re relevant because the 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 point of these articles is that the world is changing. You know, the, the back office data center is not in your data center anymore in large measure, right? The back office is, your email system is in, is, you know, Azure or Google or, you know, something like that. And, and you know, your ERP is salesforce.com and, you know, your file server is Dropbox or box.com and, you know, and on and on and on. And, and there's much, much less stuff in your, in your own data center that you can actually put your hands on. And so all of the, I guess not all, right, but many of the things that we've grown up and, and gotten accustomed to in terms of how do we protect our IT infrastructure don't really apply to that kind of model because, you know, there's no choke point. There isn't like a single choke point anymore. There's a whole bunch of choke points spread all over the damn place. And and so that's the, you know, they don't, they don't, have a the, so far right they're they're explaining the problem i guess right and, and, and in, also in terms of the fact that the various infosec vendors are going to have a lot of problem adapting to the new world so the folks you normally go to for solutions 
are going to have a lot of trouble adapting to this new world. But I, this new world is coming. I thought that was one of the more interesting comments. Yeah. I forget which which article that was the first one or the second one. But they, they basically said that uh, they've talked to some InfoSec vendors who couldn't change to support the new model if they wanted to because the, the, the boards, you know, the, the board of directors, just are, are not tolerant of the, the, the change in business model you know presumably right. like going from a you know you're going to sell the $150,000 box to a you know a, a virtual a virtual service that you're going to bill by the hour right right you know kind of the the the, the cloud-based model and uh and so so that i think you're you're right on that this is um this is this is the the problem we've got so you know as as it people we're very you know, we're like for me, right? I'm I'm kind of old school, and and I'm I'm really trying to get up to speed with you know, the new the the new way of the world. Uh, but the you know we also have the vendors, mm-hmm. the, the consultants, and and the the technology vendors who are also stuck in the past. Some are, but then again, there are others who are pushing this new model. Correct. And are talking to our IT folks and our CIOs. Yes, and are pushing the the flexibility and the cost reduction and all this sort of thing that that they're adopting, and I actually think they're onto something here. I I think that this is a very interesting article and thought process that they're going down, and I think they're probably right that we are shifting to this service on demand and infrastructure on demand and and software on demand model that the vast majority of our inline security devices, networking security devices, just don't apply to. Absolutely. We can't put everything back behind a behind a firewall. So there's there's a lot of interesting things in here that they talk about. Uh, I'd recommend people read it and follow this through. And, and by the way, in general, uh, Securos is, is a really interesting blog, and they write a lot of reports that are really helpful and useful, uh, and that they publish for free based on, you know, they're, they're basically financed by uh, various folks and looking at, at, at various, you know, ways that they can spread information out there. But long story short, somewhat distracted from my, my thought here, sorry. Um, the, there's a couple of things that they talk about, which is that a lot of the centralized infrastructure that we normally have in our data centers is going to move to third parties and many, maybe many third parties. So it really comes down to protecting at the end point, which could be anything from a tablet to a phone, to a computer, to a laptop, uh, to a kiosk, whatever it is. But man, that's, that's, that's a tough thought for me because we've always been taught if somebody else controls that endpoint, how can you ever really trust it? which is why network security tools were something that we could trust. We knew that they most likely hadn't been subverted, hadn't you know put software on it that we didn't control. So it, that's one interesting thought I had about this. Uh, and I don't have a good answer yet, but they're, but they're right. We're losing that ability to throw network devices in the path to inspect and control things. Uh, the next thing that, that I thought about is that we're kind of separating approaches now. There's an approach to secure our data and secure our quote-unquote servers, wherever they're going to end up living, and how we handle that, and a secondary approach or a different approach to secure our users and how they go access things. And and they're going to be very different mindsets and very different pieces of infrastructure using those two different, uh, you know, security approaches. And, and they're very, very disparate. So... 
you know, one thing that I think that we're seeing is all the data and all the servers and everything going to, in essence, the cloud and being virtualized is, is we have got to get user authentication right. Yes. Because that's what's really going to come back down to. Because we can't do much else. That's right. If we don't have good user auth. Because yep. it's all, it's going to come, all of it's going to come back to user rights, it seems, right. the way things are going. Right. Your, your, your infrastructure is going to be spread all you know, all over the place, and the only thing that's common will be the authentication. Right. That's that's all you've got. Uh, so, so there, I will tell you, there is a lot of, and they make reference to the zero trust network concept, and there's a lot that's been being written about this, and it's still kind of developing. But you know, I think this is, I see this in my own organization. You know, this is. There's a lot of pressure behind this. This is not a fight. You know, we're not going to, it's not a fad that's going to go away. No, I think right. you're right. We, we have, we've got to get on the bus as, as IT security yeah. people or we're going to get left behind. You know, you're right. We'll find, organizations will find people who can help facilitate this if if we're not there. You know, the other thing that I think interesting about this, and I was sort of hinting at this in an earlier story, is that if you look at how, different organizations can adopt new models. You've got folks who are either highly regulatory in a high regulatory environment, have a lot of compliance requirements around them, and then you got folks who have none, and you got folks in the continuum someplace in between. I think about this because, again, I work at a, at a bank. We have so much regulatory requirements around us that change incredibly slowly it may be very different for us to adopt new models because we've got to maintain the traditional methodologies we can prove. While competitors, or potentially competitors, who aren't beholden to this model because they don't have the regulatory overhead may be able to go do it. Or we're going to have to support both. And now now we're, we're spreading ourselves thin from an info security standpoint, trying to adapt to this new model while also maintaining the old model. It's going to be an interesting world, and I don't, I don't have a solution yet for it. But I completely agree with you, Nick. You thought that that those of us in this industry have got to start getting our heads around where it's going, and and and, or we're, we are going to get left behind. Yeah. Now, I, I, I also agree with your comment about the the challenge of being in a regulated environment, and you know that kind of being held in place. And th I think this is why you see a lot of. The innovation, well, I mean, it's one of the reasons you see a lot of the innovation coming from startups who are flying under the radar, you know, of, uh, in, in, yep. where they're not, they're not, you know, they haven't, they haven't gotten the scrutiny of a regulator yet. And by the time they get to any sufficient size, now they have some track record, they can go to the regulator and say, you know, let, let's, let's talk about, you know, what, what we've been up to and, and we can, we can demonstrate uh, what we're doing. Whereas if you're, you know, you're a legacy organization and you want to talk to your regulator about, you know, moving over to blockchain, well, that's a really interesting discussion. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and I, I suspect at some point, you know, they'll get the, the regulators will get there, but it's just going to take a, it's going to take a long time. And like you said, uh, it's, it's difficult because you end up spreading yourself thin. You're, you're operating in two worlds you know, you, you can't, yeah. you can't just cut over to want you know, from the old to the new without, without the blessing of a regulator. That's, that's the big problem. Right. Which, you know, inevitably is going to cause disruption in the marketplace. And that's right. And it's very possible that you will have businesses that will fail 
or be dramatically hurt competitively because of regulatory oversight, whereas the competitors don't have it. Correct. Yep. So, uh, so anyway, the, like you said, these are really good good blog posts. Um, I, I think we talked about a lot of the the key things, but the the one thing that I really wanted to to Im- impress on everybody is that you know times are changing. You know the the cloud model the you know i guess that's probably the the most significant component of it is is really driving some really significant differences and you know i think there are a lot of people who who are on the bus but you know for those of us that aren't yet we've got to get there so um anyway i, I have some I, i've been reading some books i'll i'll make mention of those in the, in the next shows but uh, moving on to our last story for the evening, and and this one actually comes from uh, Errata Security, and the uh, the title is "Notes about FTC Action Against D-Link." So, uh, for those who may or may not know, the FTC has filed a lawsuit against D-Link for uh, for if effectively for their products being insecure. But the point of this blog post is that it's really not. Uh, it's not what it seems. It's not that D-Link is, is that their products are insecure per se. It's more that they're, uh, that, that D-Link is marketing their products as secure. And they're, they're also making claims in their documentation that if you do X, for instance, if you, if you change your password to something that's, that's, that's good, uh, your router will be Ooh. secure. Change the default administrative password. Well, yeah, for example. Yeah, yeah, right. Your your router will be secure, uh, and at the same time, the router has you know other uh, you know hard coded def- uh, hard coded credentials or you know other you know <laughs> I think it was D Link had the the running spate of um, uh, uh, web vulnerabilities. Or maybe that was Netgear. Anyway, one of the one of the vendors. Uh, but point is. The FTC is going after D-Link, uh, basically saying they're they are they are um, un, uh, unfairly un- competing in the market. Well, yeah, they're doing unfair and deceptive business practices, right? By by promising security in their uh, in their marketing that doesn't exist. Now, of course, how the FTC can define what security is, especially when there was no standard and there's no you know, Rob makes some really good points in this. Rob, Rob Graham, who wrote this article, makes some really good points about the fact that the FTC in general is coming up with a standard after the fact. They're they're punishing D-Link based on the concept of what they perceive to be secure, uh, without any sort of industry standard to measure them against. Well, it's uh, this is, but this is similar to uh, to be let's be candid, right? Let's and and the, I agree with Rob to a point. But I think I think the one point Rob is missing is that it's not if you contrast this, let's say, against HIPAA or PCI, or or even the the, the GDPR in in Europe, you know, they they all have prescript some pers- some level of prescriptive controls, mm-hmm. right? And and I think what he's saying is that in the in the case of the FTC, they're not publishing those those uh, prescriptive controls. The difference is. That all those prescriptive controls do is, in the case of PCI or HIPAA or GDPR, 
uh, they give something objective to audit you by. Right. In, sure. in every one of those cases, you can pass an audit, still lose data, and still be fined. Sure. And so, so I, so I'm not entirely sure that anything changes, even if the FTC were to say, you know, here's here are the the controls. Right. But how does a company? you know, know what is reasonable and appropriate. So, you know, quoting from the government's complaint, the defendants, in this case D-Link, repeatedly have failed to take reasonable software testing or remediation measures, protect the routers and IP cameras against well-known and easily preventable software security flaws, such as, quote, hard-coded, end quote, user credentials and other backdoors, command injection flaws, which will allow remote detectors to gain control of consumers' devices. Defender D-Link has failed to take reasonable steps to maintain the confidentiality of the private key that, that defendant D-Link used to sign the software, um, so the, the challenge here is how do you define as a company who's in this market, what is reasonable and appropriate that would pass muster? I don't think we know yet because this is the case law hasn't truly been established yet, but you know, it's interesting to see the FTC going after companies for some level of perceived negligence in in securing their products I, I, when, to me it just seems more it seems like was it justice potter and you know the definition of pornography right they know when they see it right yeah so i i don't know i mean it's i get i, I get they're trying to be helpful i get that they're you know this goes back to the regulatory oversight that we were talking about a couple stories ago they're trying to move security forward in especially in the quote unquote IOT world. But it seems difficult for me to back this when there isn't some sort of reasonable standard that's that's established, like there is in other areas of, of law. Yeah, I I guess I, I guess my and I agree with that. I guess my counter is I'm not sure even if they had established it if if some you know, some problem were to arise, some really significant problem were to arise in the future, even though they had followed the FTC's guidelines, I'm not sure that the FTC wouldn't still go after them. No, you're right. But I, I think that's somewhat unfair. I, 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 yeah. You know, it, I'm, I think ultimately it could... I don't, I don't see this as technically helping long terms. I think it'll make some manufacturers gun shy, and I think that it will create uncertainty in how people are supposed to go forward. Um, yeah. I don't know. Well, this, has been, this has been a problem with the FTC for a long time. Well, they but went it, after Asus uh, a year or so ago. Right. But, but yeah. I think that uh, what the industry seems to be looking for, in my, in my view, and what Rob seems to be saying is that, you know, there needs to be some kind of safe harbor, right? So if you if you comply with this list of things, no matter what, we're not going to sue you. And, and right. but but I've not seen that model in any other venue. You know, I've not seen that, and it's not the case in HIPAA. It's not the case. You know, all of those regulations are all outcome based. And you know, if the outcome is that you get hacked, well, you're going to get fined. Even though, even if you complied with, you know, the technical details of the of the requirements and the regulation, if you get hacked, you know, it's you still should have done more. So, I I I, I sympathize with the point, but 
I guess I'm saying that I don't know that this is necessarily different than what we see in a lot of other cases, which doesn't mean that it's right. Right. It 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 is it just it just is. I mean, I'm I'm sure there's lots of of hospitals and and doctors offices that wish that, you know, the HIPAA regulations were safe harbor. Right. You know, and, long... and let's also be clear that this is not a den deal yet. This is the FTC has filed suit, but who knows? They may lose it. It'll be interesting to see. True, true. Although, you know, how it worked out for, what was it? What was the name? LabCorp? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I met that guy recently, by the way. Oh, really? I, I, at an at a aviation thing. He happened to be there, and we got to talking. I was like, oh, you're that guy. Wow. Interesting. Pretty, yeah, just complete coincidence. Yeah. Cool story, uh, bro. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, so I don't know. I I get what they're trying to do, but it just feels like this is way too wishy-washy to to go after companies based upon. I I mean, the, the, clearly there's a problem. Clearly, we, we I, I'm also such a hardcore free market guy that it's tough for me to really get my arms around this. But at the very least, there should be a, a common set of published controls that they're measuring against not just their subjective opinion i don't know yeah well we'll see you know i and d-link may be of a sufficient size that they can they can help mold that Uh, you know here's the other thing is software development is hard you know even microsoft and google have thousands of bugs a year that they have to patch that are security violations and they weren't intentional so yeah. then what is it, you know, do they start measuring, oh, well, you had 60 days to patch that you didn't, right? Uh, you know, it's, it seems like the FTC is looking for a perfect world that doesn't exist here. Yeah, I, I when I, when I read this story, I, I actually was thinking about Oracle and Microsoft, you know, what, right. when, are, when, when do they turn their sites to Oracle and Microsoft? Mm. Anyway. Well. Those are U.S.-based companies, and D-Link is Taiwan-based, so maybe that has something to do with it. Mm. Good point. Good I don't point. know. Just speculating. All right. Well, that was the last story for this week. Thank yep. you, everyone, for for uh, listening. And again, thank you to everybody who has donated to our Patreon com- campaign. Uh, just yes. a reminder. Thank you very much. We we have a we have an awesome Slack community. Uh, which has all sorts of different discussions. We actually have a book club now. We're, we're reviewing a book on uh, security metrics right now. So, so if you're interested, uh, I'll I'll drop a link to the Slack community in the uh, in the show notes. And, um, and with that, we'll we'll talk again next week. If if you want to find links to uh, to again to all the stories we talked about, they'll be in the show notes and on our website at www.defensivesecurity.org. You can follow the show. On Twitter at Defensive Sec, you can follow Mr. Kellett on Twitter at Lurg and me on Twitter at Malicious Link. And uh, anything else you you want to bring up? No, just uh, hope everybody had a good holiday and a good New Year's and have a great week. We'll talk to you guys next week. Good deal. Take care. Bye.